Okay, we're going to be looking at a passage this morning, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. I'm going to read it from the new NIV version, and, uh, but you can follow along on the screen, on your electronic device, the Bible's available. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. But for this day, this, for the, to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Quote by Francis Chan from his book Crazy Love. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be that of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Jesus says if you want to succeed at life in things that matter, you, you set your sights on, on two things, loving God and loving people, and learning from Jesus what, what shape that's supposed to take. Those priorities are the things that will get you to the end of your life and you're never going to look back and say, wow, honestly, I wish I would have spent a lot less time loving God. I wish I would have spent a lot less time caring for the poor, having compassion for the broken, learning to mine the wisdom of Scripture and to uncover who this great and glorious God was. Ugh, what a waste. I so regret putting so much of my life, investing so much of my time, energy, and talent in that direction. If I could go over and do it back again, I totally would. That will never happen to you. That will never happen to you if you follow what Jesus says is the most important thing. Today we're coming to the end of our three-week series called Summit, and we've been looking at our mission statement, which is to love Jesus, love people, and to see lives transformed. And, and these are things that we should, as a church, want to succeed at. These are kind of big picture goals that if we're doing anything well, we want to be steadily moving into doing these things really, really well. These are three priorities that, as a church, we will never regret spending our best energy on. We will never regret spending our best time on. We will never regret spending um, our most valuable treasures on. And we've been talking about how we need to be living in and through kind of three areas of faith formation so that these things can take root in our own lives. We've talked about how we need to be pursuing these things as individuals uh, within a context of a small group of some kind 
and as a church-wide body. And today we're looking at the last part of the mission statement, which is that we want to be a church that is transforming lives. Now I think, I think the inference in that last part of the mission statement is that our mission statement is, is sorry, that um, I think the inference is that we want to be a church that's helping to transform other people's lives, people who don't know Jesus. We want to be transforming other people's lives. And that's good because not only do people outside of these walls need their lives transformed by the gospel, I think a lot of them want it. I think a lot of people actually crave it. They're, they're searching for it high and low. And this is what I mean by that. Um, in the early chapters of the Bible, chap- Genesis chapter 3, we see sin comes into the human condition. And what sin does is at on four levels, simultaneously, it distorts and pulls apart what God intended to be strong and healthy and vibrant. Sin pulls apart our relationship with God. It creates kind of interference in terms of how God relates to us, how we relate to God. It pulls apart our relationship to ourself. So all kinds of new insecurities and identity issues begin to emerge with the fall that weren't there before. Uh, Sin distorts and runs interference in our relationship with other people so that relationships, even the best ones in this world, are don't always flow. They don't always work the way they should. They're still an arena of tremendous pain. And sin also distorts our relationship to the the broader world, to creation, not just in in terms of our propensity to abuse and misuse creation, but also to not really know our place within creation. What is mine to do? Who who am I and what am I doing here? Um, I think if you were to go, I think if you were to stop 10 people on the street corner in Nelson and say, in your relationship with God or a higher power, your relationship with other people, your relationship in, in terms of self-identity and your relationship to being, living with clarity and purpose in your life, um, would you be interested in something that would help you gain traction in bringing all those together? I don't think most people would say, no, I'm not interested, thanks, but no thanks. I think nine out of 10 people would probably say, I'm absolutely interested. And our challenge is how do we um, present the hope of the gospel before in front of people um, before they can have that kind of knee-jerk reaction that, oh, you're offering me religion or kind of the the baggage of evangelical Christianity kind of overwhelms that. It's an interesting uh, (laughs) challenge and problem that we have, but one we're going to, I think we're going to solve. Our challenge is to present the gospel in a way that helps those who aren't believers understand that we're not, having, we're not interested in them getting religion. We're not simply interested in them um, you know, coming out to our church, giving in our offering plates, starting to read the Bible. First and foremost, we want people to encounter the person of Jesus such that his grace and power begins to transform their lives. And all the other things become scaffolding on how to move people into that new kind of life and purpose, and, and grace, and hope. And to help people understand that in Christ, what you are so looking for and striving for in, in many erroneous places is, is completely available by grace. But it's in and through the person of Jesus. So yes, we want to be a church that's about transforming lives, but today I want to talk about how that work needs to start in us first. We want to be a church that loves God, loves, loves people, but is allowing our lives to be transformed so that we can transform other people. Because there's two temptations in the Christian church. One is to think, 
we're much more interested in other people having a come to Jesus moment and repentance and salvation and deliverance before us. So we're a little bit too eager to have other people, other people's lives. Honestly, a lot of what drives it is fixed or changed in the way that we think it should change. Or um, we're not bold. We don't have a lot of confidence in talking to people about transformation in Christ because we haven't experienced it. And if it hasn't been something that's really captured your own heart and life, but your pastor saying, you should go out there and tell people about Jesus, you will, but it's kind of a sheepish, well, you know, if you want to come on a Sunday or something, that'd be cool, but you don't have to, or I don't know. Like if you want, like, I don't know. So allowing God to transform us first and foremost is super, super important. We'll find out in a moment. It doesn't mean we have to be completely transformed. It doesn't mean we have to go out into the world only when our lives are perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to let God make some real traction in our own hearts and lives. Because it's through that that other people hear the gospel, but they see it. And people are not looking for perfection, but they're looking for a sense of congruency between you use this language... And you know what? I'm seeing that in your life. That makes me warm to your message. I want to find out more. So here's the context of the passage that we're looking at today because this is a powerful passage on what it means as a Christian to allow your life to be transformed by Christ. Um, Paul is writing to a very young church about the glory of the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, which is the Old Covenant uh, God gave certain promises and went um, covenantal promises with Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses and the give, giving of the law and this new co- covenant which is now available in and through the person of Jesus. And a lot can be said there, but the, really the point of the passage is that Paul is driving to this place of saying, one of the things I want you to think about as Christians is that in the, is, is the layer of accessibility to God. Even though God entered into a covenant with all of Israel at Mount Sinai, Only one person had unfettered access to the glory and grandeur of God, and that was Moses. Only one person got to connect with Moses face-to-face. There was kind of a secondary covenantal blessing for everybody, but not everyone had had the same access. But in and through what Jesus has done, anybody has the same access to God that Moses does. They can talk to God face to face. You don't have to be super righteous. You don't have to be kind of heroically faithful. You can be the, you can be a, the chief of sinners. But because of what Jesus has done, you can now have an intimacy with God that people who are part of the old covenant couldn't really honestly have imagined because that was reserved for a, a, a certain stratosphere of saint. And in verse 18, Paul moves to this culmination of this passage of of the glory and the power of this new covenant and he writes these words he says and we all referring to the church who with unveiled faces contemplate the lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit and this verse is a spiritual juggernaut because it teaches at least five elements or dimensions of christian transformation Older kids, here's, here's, this is where the fill-in-the-blank parts start. This is your, this is your little uh, wake up and let's do this thing. The first thing this verse talks about, and I'm going to spend the most time here and, and move quickly through the other ones. This, this is the most important one. 
is that this verse shows you the cause of Christian transformation, the actual cause. If I were to say to you, what causes like, real transformative Christian growth? What causes it? That might be hard to, for some of us to answer. We know the fruit of it. Well, if I was growing spiritually, these things would be happening in my marriage, these things would be happening internally, in my own imagination, in my own heart, in my disposition towards my neighbor. I know what the fruit of a transformed life would look like, or at least I think I do, but that's different. What's the actual cause? What's the catalyst? For much of my life, certainly for my teenage years and probably in the mid-late 20s, my answer would have been, it's about me trying harder. It's about me getting more serious, more intentional, more focused on trying to grow. Which was a different way of saying, I'm the cause of my spiritual transformation. It's me. So God obviously is going to help me and he's got the word and the spirit and a whole bunch of stuff. I get that. But I need to really focus on certain habits, patterns, behaviors, thoughts, and kind of overwhelm them into submission, primarily through an act of my willpower. I just need to really get serious about it and rip out the bad habits, and install the good ones through sheer willpower. And so I thought that's what spiritual transformation meant. Jesus is my example. I want to try really hard to be like Jesus. And so I do lots of things. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I serve. There are lots of different ways that, ways that I engage my faith, but I'm doing it um, out of my own willpower. And if I did that, then God would somehow transform my life. I didn't really understand all the different mechanisms and how it would work, but I kind of thought, if I just work really hard at it, God will somehow bless me, and then we'll, I'll see growth. And maybe for you this morning, that's how you understand spiritual growth. You just never encountered anything that would lead you to believe it's anything different. And if that's the case, then let me tell you that today is going to be a hugely changing day in your life. It's, this, the, what I'm about to tell you has the potential to completely change the trajectory of how you walk with Christ. It, it's just, it's massive. Because what I just described, reading things in the Bible, looking at the person of Jesus, he's my example, I need to do these things, I need to not do these things, here's my plan, I'm gonna do it, willpower, go, 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 make a mistake, confess, Try again, make a mistake, confess. Just this, this intense, self-driven process of transformation is not spiritual transformation. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about spiritual transformation. That's moral reformation. And spiritual transformation is not the same as moral reformation. Now, I want to be very clear. Reforming yourself morally, trying to adopt good habits and dislodge bad ones, that's a good thing. The world would be a better place if more people were serious about moral reform. But moral reformation isn't Christianity. A my mic? Oh, there I am. There's an aspect of Christianity which has as it moral reform, but that's not where ultimately spiritual transformation happens. Moral reformation is not a bad thing, but it is not Christianity. But unfortunately, in a lot of churches, and certainly in my own preaching even at times, and certainly in the past, that has gotten conflated. What does it mean to be a growing Christian? Trying really, really hard to be a growing Christian. And the point is, is that you can make moral reformation happen in your life. Like, you actually can do it. Through an act of will, through 
behavior modification. You can self-reform. Lots of people do that. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. Lots of people out in this community are adopting good habits, dislodging bad ones. But you can't cause spiritual transformation in and of yourself. You can't cause spiritual transformation in Christ. That is something that happens to you, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as you contemplate the Lord's glory. Spiritual transformation is something that happens to you as you contemplate the Lord's glory. This is what I mean by that. If you get at translations, even an old NIV, NRSV, ESV, this word that's, that in, uh, as I'm using it, contemplate, gets uh, translated there, is uh, katoprizo in the Greek. It's a very complicated, weird word. So if you were to pull out a bunch of Bibles, they're all going to have different words for it, almost guaranteed. This is one of those passages that almost every translation has a different way of trying to figure out how to best capture what's going on here. So some translations are going to say gaze upon, some are going to say reflect, some are going to say behold. Um, the, the new NIV that I'm using this morning says contemplate. And the word is connected to the practice of staring at yourself in a mirror, like really staring at yourself, not at a glance. Like not when you're walking down Nelson and you're like looking at yourself in the reflection in the mirror and you're like looking good. Not that. Not just a quick thing. Not that. This caprizo um, is, the, is the act of deeply and intensely looking at something. So the difference is um, between someone who's just kind of um, getting ready for work in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, am I basically presentable to the world? Yep, good, moving on. That's not caprizo. Caprizo is when you're looking in the mirror because you're getting ready for a first date. That's caprizo, right? You are <laughs> spending an enormous amount of time and energy and looking over every pore and every hair and making sure everything looks perfect. You're, you're trying to take it in. It's, it's a real focused attention. Do I have any nose hair? Are my blemishes covered up? Overgrown eyebrow hairs? Stained teeth? Every hair in place? That's cataprizo. Cataprizo is gazing upon and beholding details and really, really paying attention to it and kind of taking it in. And Paul says that is actually the cause of spiritual transformation in Christ. Not looking at yourself in the mirror carefully and longingly, but it's in contemplating the Lord's glory. That's where spiritual transformation happens. Paul says the surest way to be transformed as a Christian is not by trying harder but by continually taking a long and loving look at who Jesus is, what Jesus has done in and through the Gospels, the broader meta narrative of Scripture, what Jesus has done in your life, and dwelling on that, thinking about it, reflecting on it, staring at it, and looking at it in details from different angles and saying, Wow, I didn't notice that before. That's amazing. That's the cause of transformation. Paul doesn't say, You want to grow in humility? Okay, here's a five step plan. You need to try really hard, watch out for proud, proud thoughts. You want to grow in courage. Okay, that's good. You've got to be aware of cowardly thoughts and kind of get those out of the way and kind of mind over matter. Uh, here's kind of four daily affirmations that you can use. Just begin telling them to yourself every single day and eventually you're going to kind of push out the bad thoughts. Um, again, that's moral reformation. That's, that's not a, those aren't bad habits to do. That, that's good. Some of us need to do them. But that's not spiritual transformation. Paul says that that's religion. 
religion is about you exerting your will to try and live up to a certain standard. And we don't want to be offering people here or out there religion. We want to be offering people Christianity. Christianity is, is it's the subtle knife's edge distinction, but it's so, so important here. Christian transformation happens when we, yes, in Bible study, prayer, worship, serving people, when we reflect and contemplate the glory of Jesus, that's when transformation happens. Especially when we look into Scripture and learn to see every story and every, um, every aspect of Scripture somehow revealing and pointing us to the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done. The greatness of Jesus. Uh, beginning next week, uh, for some time, we're going to be starting a series through the book of Mark. We're going to be looking at it through the... the um, the metaphor of insurrection, how the gospel turns up and over and overthrows um, different principalities and powers in our own lives, the lives of our community and the world. It's going to be super, super exciting. But we're going to be studying Jesus' life in detail. Why? So that every week we're just, I'm putting before you a new kind of, this is how you ought to live kind of moral imperative. And then we spend the next six days trying really hard to do it. No. We're going to be first and foremost just taking in these stories and contemplating the glory of who Jesus is. Not seeing, it, not seeing him first as, oh, he did this, so I should do those things too. But look at what he did and just let it wash over us and just contemplate it. Just look at it. Because Jesus is not, he's not essentially a model for how we're supposed to live although there's lots of extrapolations we can make there. He's first and foremost, um, he's God in the flesh. He's a power which will actually change the way we see the whole, our whole lives and our whole world, which will in fact change how we live. But it doesn't come from us. It comes from as he does a work in our heart. Spiritual transformation is not the same thing as moral reformation. Through the power of the Spirit, Jesus' character and who Jesus is actually causes deep changes in us if we just take the time to actually look and stare. Not the glance. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. I get that. I read that before. That's cool. But actually longingly and lovingly stare. This passage also talks about the promise of Christian transformation. Notice Paul says, we who with unveiled faces are contemplating the Lord's glory are being transformed. He doesn't say, if you gaze upon the Lord, you might experience transformation. It happens once in a while for some people. We don't really know why but give it a shot because it's kind of like a lottery. It's like a spiritual lottery. Your number might come up. Something might happen. That'll be great. Paul says, no, no, no. You are being transformed. When you contemplate the Lord's glory, when you learn to take in who Jesus is in all kinds of ways throughout your week, transformation is inevitable. It's not just possible. It's inevitable. And that's super, super, it should be encouraging to us because change, that means change and transformation in your life, in your heart, in your psyche, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your work, that is, that is possible. Um, even in areas that you've, if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, I've kind of taken this completely off the table with God. I actually don't think God could do anything here. I think the wound is too deep. I think the bitterness is too pervasive. I think the, the apathy is too established. I think the relationship is too broken. I think the insecurity is too, is too deep. I think the situation is too chaotic. So I don't even pray about that anymore. I don't even kind of, I'm just tired of dealing with this. So I just kind of, I've essentially given up. And Paul says there should never be an area in our life 
where that should be our posture. Um, because if we are contemplating the Lord's glory, God will be doing a work in us that will be leading the transformation first in us and in these situations. Now again, if our default is, well, I've just tried so hard to fix the situation, fix my spouse, fix the community, fix my church. It's not working. I'm just burnt out. Oh, that for sure. You can come to that end of that rope really, really quick. But there will be transformation if you say, I'm just going to begin looking at Jesus. I'm going to begin learning how to just take in his power and presence and letting that transform me. There's no person, issue, situation that's beyond hope. If you clear the deck of your own self-help strategies and you just spend time contemplating his glory and who he is instead of contemplating and gazing upon the person, the issue, the chaos, the insecurity, change happens as we turn our eyes to Jesus. Number three, the passage tells us the telos of Christian transformation. Telos is a Greek word that means the ultimate end, like the goal of the whole thing, the, the, the ending at the end of the book. Where is this whole thing moving towards? And Paul says, you're being transformed into his image. And that's really important because I think sometimes Christians, I think, well, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for myself. I think I became a Christian for a lot of mixed motives, one of which was, oh, I totally want God to come into my life and help me achieve my goals. I do need God. I need him to help me do the things that I want to do. I have an image that I want to live into in my imagination. So if he could make me into that image, that'd be sweet. That'd be great. I'd love to have a supernatural force that's kind of propping me up and moving me forward. And Paul says, eh, again, except that's not Christianity because God's not the accessory to your life. God's not like a little pocket charm that you pull out and say, I really wish this would happen. Here's my goal. Here's my plan. God, can you like make this happen? Transformation is about God transforming you into the image of Christ, into his image. Every single person who's alive is being formed spiritually at, at, any, at, at any given point. All of us experience a spiritual formation. Dallas Willard says, the difference is, is your, spir is your spiritual formation good or is it bad? And Christian transformation is the best kind of spiritual formation because instead of God giving us what we think we want, which is, will you make us into this image? This is what I want my life to look like. Will you do whatever you need to do to make that happen? That would be awesome. God is so good and so wise, he recognizes 99 times out of 100, so much of that plan would actually destroy your life and would rip you apart from actually what matters. So what God is, says is, okay, Pause button. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform you into my likeness. I'm going to make you like Jesus because that is actually the life that you're longing for. To step into that kind of transformation, you think you want this lifestyle. It'll never satisfy you. I'm going to give you this instead. And this is important also for those of us who are experiencing suffering. You go through hard times. Why would God let this hard thing happen to me? Yeah, that's a, that's, an, that's a valid question to ask if we assume it's God's job to deliver us into an image that we want of our own choosing. Why is God running interference? Doesn't he know the plan? Doesn't he know where I want to go? I don't see how this is going to help me get there. God says, oh yeah, oh, it might not because I'm not trying to get you there. My telos is Christ-likeness. Christ I actually don't care that much what you're paycheck looks like. I want you to be a person of tremendous grace and generosity and care and love. 
I don't actually care in some ways the lifestyle perks that you get to enjoy. I want you to be a person who's more concerned about how do I bring blessing to other people rather than what has God done for me lately? I'm changing you into a different kind of human being in the image of Christ. Becoming a Christian is about moving into that. It's about maturing into being a restored image bearer that powerfully and beautifully reflects Jesus' love, grace, healing, salvation to the world. Number four talks about the process of Christian transformation. Paul says, this is happening with ever-increasing glory. Christian transformation is a process. It's not an event. You move with ever-increasing glory. And that speaks to the fact that God doesn't just fix you. God doesn't just zap you and say, oh, here's an area. It's just done. We are being transformed, but it doesn't happen overnight. And that should be an encouragement to some of you who feel like, here's an area in my life, and it's very clearly hasn't been zapped by God into perfection. I'm still in process. Yeah, spiritual transformation still a lot of the time looks like process. That doesn't mean God's not at work. That doesn't mean that something's wrong. God transforms us from glory to glory. But think about that. He, he transforms you from glory to glory. The Hebrew word glory is kavod. It means weight. It means density. It means substance. God is in this process of however mysteriously he's doing it in your life, he's making you a person of greater glory, of greater weight. Depending on your spiritual formation and kind of whatever gurus you've set up in your life or people outside in their life have set up, the scripture says a bad spiritual formation will make you less and less glorious. You will become more superficial and paper thin as a person. You follow Jesus and what he does is he slowly but surely embeds you with his glory so your life takes on more and more weight. It has a greater density of meaning. It has a greater density of purpose. It has a greater density of that sense of wholeness and integratedness because on those four levels God self other people creation God is slowly but surely weaving you back together into the kind of image bearer you're meant to be and lastly the best news of all the grace of Christian transformation Paul ends this little um, teaching to this early church by saying by the way, this whole transformative thing, this whole thing that God is doing, it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It doesn't come from you. You can relax. This, you can't, it's not self-generated. This isn't religion. This is something very, very different. This is the gospel. If you're a Christian, you don't have to stress out over trying to make transformation happen. You can relax, and you can, in a lot of ways, enjoy the journey. Because now, as Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for those of, of you who are in Christ Jesus. You're adopted children. You are possessed. You are loved by God. And so now, it's in and through grace that transformation happens. You've been established by grace. It's through grace that you're going to grow. So yes, you need to cooperate with God by opening up the scriptures, praying, coming to church, be involved in these things. But you're doing them from a very different center. It's not a willful center of like, oh, I gotta do these things because I'm just so sick and tired of my life being this way, and, uh, and I've gotta just will, willpower my way into freedom. Nor is it coming from an anxious center that says, oh, I gotta do all these things, if, or God's not gonna be pleased, or this or that, or I'm gonna, uh. so it, it's neither pride and, and power as, and, and, and self-willed power, nor is it anxiety that's fueling it. Christian spiritual transformation, when it's done well, it looks a lot more just kind of like joyful playfulness. It's just like, oh, these, these are just all opportunities for me to learn to see God's glory and enjoy it. And I'm excited by that. I'm excited to come to church. I'm excited to open up my Bible. I'm excited to serve. I'm excited to give. Because these are all different ways 
for me, to, for Jesus to reveal his glory to me, and in the process, God will, God will transform me. So you get to learn to grow as a Christian, but you don't have to stress over whether or not you're on some, the right timetable, or, or, or you don't have to stress over whether or not you see change happening here versus here, and you can just kind of relax and enjoy the process that you are now a child of God, and God is, God is transforming you as you just take time to gaze upon him. And I think that's a tremendously freeing, and actually it's a very fun way to live as a Christian. It's not available to any other religion because every other religion puts the onus on you to be the catalyst of your spiritual transformation. It's only Christianity that says the catalyst and the source and the fuel and the power both at its start, sustain, and finish is Jesus, and it's his glory. That opens up an entirely different way to live as a Christian. So at the conclusion of this series, let me remind you of that quote again from the start. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And my prayer is that moving forward, we would be a church that succeeds at things that actually matter. Loving God and loving people and seeing people come to know Jesus, contemplate his glory, and as they do, we with them are just being transformed into beautiful Christ-like ways. Let's pray. God, as we sing to you, let us sing from a new place. Maybe this song is familiar to us, but let it be a new song in the way that we sing it. That we would contemplate your glory. As the words draw us towards you, may we not just move through them unconsciously. Starting this week, God, would you make us more aware of your glory and and help us not to just glance at it now and then, but to take time as individuals, as small groups, as a church, to gaze upon, to behold, to contemplate your greatness. Amen.